Oh God, we come to you in this time and we give you thanks and praise for all that you have to say to us today. Lord, there is much in Matthew 17, and so I pray that each person here this morning would try to pick out one thing that you might want to say to them, one thing that they could put into practice in their life, one thing that could draw them closer into a relationship with you, Lord, one thing that they could really uh, be lifted up and say, Lord, this is, this is the word that you have for me today. May that come to each person here today, I pray. In the name of Christ, amen. I don't know if you've ever known or ever seen, but sometimes in people's lives, they have kind of a, a glow to them. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, there's different experiences, different reasons. Maybe a person is like super happy and they just kind of are walking around and they seem to have this glow or, you know, they always say that when, when women are pregnant, they always have that, that special glow, right? Or, or maybe, you know, you have that experience where, where your, your child is getting married or, or graduating from college or whatever and there's just this excitement, this happiness and there's just kind of a, an aura, a glow around you. I remember when I was in my church in Colorado, I used to have a woman that would come up to me fairly regularly and she would say, I was watching you preach today and you had this, this aura, this glow around you. And I was like, wow, okay, that's pretty cool, right? <laughs> Hopefully the Holy Spirit was holy upon me and I was just, you know, on fire for the Lord, right? There was just this kind of glow. Well, I talk about that because this morning, as we get to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 17, as we're making our way through the Gospel, as we're trying to say, what do we as disciples need to learn? What does God have to teach us through His Word? How can we walk with Jesus like the disciples walk with Jesus? I hope you're allowing these scriptures each week, this chapter after chapter, to, to just really glean from Jesus what He wants you to know, what He wants you to learn, who He wants you to be, how He wants you to act and, and live in this world. I hope you are getting that as we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. And this morning we're going to talk about the transfiguration of Jesus. The, the glory of God really shining forth in Jesus. And we're going to talk about the significance of that and, and the impact of that. And we're going to talk about how faith is so important. As Jesus said, if you have faith, you can move mountains. And we're going to talk about that as well. You know, we are called in Jesus to transform ourselves. And there's many ways in life that we can transform ourselves. When we hear that term, transform, we might think of, of different things. Maybe, maybe you, you've noticed someone who's been on a diet and they've lost a significant amount of weight. I mean, so much weight that they, they have transformed themselves into a, a more healthy person, but they almost look different too, right? I mean, they, they significantly change in their appearance because they have transformed themselves by losing so much weight. Or maybe you've seen someone who's like a very negative person and they, 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 they take a new tack to life. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to look at the bright side in everything, in every situation. And they change themselves so much. They transform so much that they, they're like a new person, right? But then we have the transformation of Jesus, right? The transfiguration of Jesus, which displays to the disciples and to us who Jesus really is, and the power he possesses. Read this in Matthew 17, 1-2, and again, whenever you see yellow, please read with me. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. 
So here's the situation. Jesus takes his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and he takes them out to the mountain. And if you remember, along the way, if we've seen Jesus go to the mountain, it's usually by himself. But it's always to go and pray and to be with God in a little more intimate, special way, right? So Jesus often goes to the mountain to pray. But this time, he brings James, John, Peter, James, and John with him. Okay? And so we don't know how long they've been there, but at some point, we are told that Jesus is transfigured. And that he shines as bright as the light, right before their eyes. And this transfiguration shows who Jesus really is. This transfiguration gives the disciples a new insight into who Jesus is. The nature of Christ, that he is God in the flesh. I mean, that concept's so big, you might have to take a moment to, to step back and pause and really reflect on that, that he is God in the flesh. Can you really take that to be, to understand that fully? I mean, up to this point, his flesh has kind of been a veil covering his glory. And in this moment, in front of these three disciples, he allows them to see his full Glory. And they fully understand now that Jesus is God in the flesh. The very glory of God himself shining forth from Christ. And as the scripture says, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Now this was difficult for the disciples to take in, right? I mean, they'd heard all of this. They'd heard, they knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. He was the one who had come to, to save people from their sins. They, they had heard this, this teaching, right? They had heard the prophecies. But to see it with their own eyes. I mean, you probably had those experiences, right? You've heard something, you've heard something, but then you experienced it for yourself. And it took on a new meaning, a new understanding for you. And this is what they're trying to, to take in now. The, the disciples are trying to fully understand what is happening in front of them. God in the flesh, God above all, the creator of all things, the one who has all power. And I imagine that these three disciples were transformed by this experience. And we too should be transformed whenever we come into the very presence of God. And I was talking about solitude, right? Taking time, creating that space to be with God. In those times of solitude, the very presence of God should come upon us. And that presence of God should transform us. We should not be the same person we are once we have encountered Christ. When we see him in his full glory and understand his full power. Paul has a great verse where he says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, who with unveiled faces, kind of the whole concept of how Jesus was unveiled, right? With we with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is the whole gospel right here, that we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, but it doesn't stop there. We must be transformed to become true followers of Christ, to receive the power and the presence of God in our life so that we can go out and we can love like God and we can forgive like God and we can be the very presence of God. 1 John 5 says, no one has really fully known who God is. And then it says this amazing phrase, but when we love like God loves, 
People know who God is. In fact, he says it even stronger than that. It says, when we love like God loves, people see God. That powerful statement, that people can see the glory of God, the love of God shining forth through us, through you and through me. That is a profound truth of the scriptures. Also kind of referred to, if you remember back in the Old Testament, when Moses was in the very presence of God and he was getting the Ten Commandments and having those conversations with God, when he left the mountaintop, it said that he had to cover his face with a veil because the glory of God just being in his presence, the glory of God shone so forth upon him that he had to cover his face so not as to blind the people when they saw him. And so here Jesus is not just like Moses in the in the presence of God, with God's glory upon him, Jesus is God shining forth the very glory of God. And we, when we are transformed in Christ, we too shine that glory to others. Again, a profound truth that we need to understand. But it goes deeper here. The three disciples see Jesus in his glory, but they also see him talking to Moses and Elijah, the scripture tells us. And Peter says, hey, let's make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Peter kind of, I think, is kind of in essence, you know, here's Moses. Oh, you know, I'm, you imagine, could you imagine being in the presence of Moses or Elijah? You know, two great servants of the Lord, right? They're kind of like almost Peter's putting them on the same, same level, right? Oh, we have, we have Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Let's build three tents, three sanctuaries um, to, to com commemorate, to memorialize this experience. But then God steps in. Matthew 17, 5. While he was speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The voice of God, the very voice of God, thundered out and kind of corrected Peter, right? I mean, it's one thing to be rebuked by someone, but can you imagine being rebuked by the very voice of God? <laughs> this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Man, if you remember, he said that back when Jesus was baptized. Right after he was baptized, the, God said that. This is my son whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so it's like, listen to him. This is God in the flesh. Listen to him. When we are in the presence of God, whether it be in worship, whether it be reading the Bible, whether it be in prayer, whether it be in fellowship with God's people, when we're in the presence of God and we feel that presence of God upon us, we are not to come with fear, but with faith. We are not to be afraid, but to believe. We are not to cower, but to be built up. We are not to turn our eyes away, but draw all the more close to God. That is another amazing truth in the scripture. God says, draw close to me. Come into my presence with confidence. I want to be in that relationship with you. Don't be afraid of my glory. Come and be my presence of my glory. Don't be afraid of my power. Come let me empower you. Don't be overwhelmed by my love. Be filled with my love so that it will flow out of you to others. If we are given the task to preach the gospel, and lead people to, to Jesus Christ, then we need to exact and understand exactly who Jesus is, right? 
I mean, how can you lead someone to Jesus if you don't really know who Jesus is yourself? And so that's what the gospel is so amazing and teaches us so much about who Jesus is so that we understand this Jesus that we want to talk about, that we understand this Jesus that we want people to come to know, that we are transformed and people can see that transformation in our lives so that they can say, I want that. I want to be like you. I want to be transformed like Jesus. That's not just for a minister or for elders. It's for every follower of Christ to be transformed in the very image of God. God wants us to have a faith that believes and then understands and then shares. And isn't that how it goes, right? We believe, but when we first believe, we don't really understand. We believe, we're kind of confused. We don't know a lot. But then we come to understand. We come to learn more. We understand who Jesus is. We understand this transformation process. We understand this relationship thing. And then we start to share it with others. Are you at the faith part? Maybe you believe and you don't fully understand. Or maybe you believe and you understand, but maybe you haven't started sharing it yet. We need to all get that. That's the goal of our church, right? Discipleship and evangelism. It's leading people to Jesus, to a saving faith in Jesus, so that they can understand, and then they can get to that place so when they start to share it with others. That's what God wants of us, to have faith, to believe, to begin to understand, and then to understand to the point that we're so moved and transformed by Jesus himself that we are led to share it with others. That we can't do anything but share with others, right? That's just part of our conversation. We're talking with people and we just start sharing. We're so excited about life because Jesus is part of that life. And we just can't help but share Jesus with others. I think I've shared this before, but it's very fitting, I think, to set up the next part of the Matthew 17. Um, when my children were, were younger and I would take them to school oftentimes, and right next to the school was this park, and, and oftentimes I'd go over and I'd park at the park, and, and I'd sit in my car for 10, 15, 20 minutes, and I would do that, that solitude thing, right? That meditation time where I would try to just be in God's presence, experience God's love, listen to God's voice. And it is such a wonderful thing when you do that for 15, 20 minutes. And I remember coming out of that time and I'd be so at peace. Have you ever had those experiences where you're just like, ah, oh, nothing can bother me. Nothing can bother me. And so I turn on my car and I start, to, and I'm in this peaceful situation and I'm driving along and this person cuts me off. Hi, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just good. <laughs> Another person, person cuts me off, and I'm like, what's going on? Another, you know, and all of a sudden, now reality starts to hit, right? And you're like, what's going on? You hit this red light, and you miss this red light. And by the time I got to work, like, that piece was gone, right? Because <laughs> the harshness and the reality of the world and the pressures and, and the things that we have to do and the busyness, and it all comes upon us, right? And so it's really interesting that we see that right after Jesus is with the three disciples on this mountaintop, having this mountaintop experience, having this, this high, feeling the peace and the glory and the power of God, and they come down from the mountain. And look what happens. When they came down to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Immediately, Jesus is hit with something, right? 
He's coming down. He's like, oh, I'm so good. And immediately, Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and suffering greatly. He often falls in the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Jesus is like, really? What? I'm gone. You guys couldn't deal with this, right? Man, I put you guys in charge for a few minutes. I come back, and this is what I experience. He's called upon to do a miracle. He's brought back into the reality of our world, into the very life itself, right? This, this boy is having seizures, and he's suffering. And these seizures cause him to fall into the fire or into the water. And, and in this process, he's, he's almost dying because of, of what's going on. I mean, you can imagine how dangerous that would be, falling into the fire, falling into the water. And the father is so concerned as he should be as a father. But we also see in the father a great faith that, that this father has in Jesus. That Jesus can take this demon from his son. We see that Satan is real and is constantly attacking us. Satan does not want us to be at peace. Satan does not want us to have victories. Satan does not want us to be able to share Jesus with others. Satan is going to give us that doubt, right? Oh, maybe I shouldn't say, does this person not like me if I share my faith with them? Or maybe this isn't the right time. This isn't this. And we start to make excuses and we start to shy back. Or Satan causes us doubts or, or Satan creates these these. These pitfalls around us that we have to be careful not to avoid. See, only in Jesus can we be safe from the attacks of the devil. That's very important. Only in Jesus. Well, we're manifesting the power and presence of Jesus into our lives. Can we be protected from the attacks of Satan? If your children or grandchildren or anything like mine when they were young, they all got to this particular age where it's like, I do it, right? My, I want to do it, right? And so you start to help them. They're like, no, no, I want to do it, right? And so as a parent, you're like, well, I'm supposed to help my parent and my children become independent, right? So you, you let them do it. But sometimes it's just not the right time for that, right? Right? So maybe you're, you're getting ready to go and you're running late, right? You have to get somewhere and your child wants to tie their shoe, Right? So you're watching them try to tie their shoe. And they just kind of like make these loops, right? They never like go through, right? They're just making, and you're like, oh my gosh, you got it. Come on, come on, tie it, come on. You know, he's tying. Finally, you're just like, here, and you tie it, right? And then later you feel like this horrible pair of like, oh my gosh, you know, I just, I made it feel like, because my dad used to always do that. My, my dad, I used to try something. He's like, no, I'm going to do it. And he just would do it for me, right? And, and so I have to go to therapy because I feel like, you know, I can... <laughs> Never do anything on my own, right? But sometimes you just have to do it by yourself, right? Or maybe you're, you're, you're pounding a nail and your child comes along and wants to take the hammer and pound. And you're like, but you're only three years old. You can't ham hammer a nail, right? You're going to hurt yourself or you're going to break the board or whatever. And there's times when the kids want to do it, but they just aren't ready yet to do it. And we see this happening. We see this happening with Jesus and his disciples. They're asked first by this father to remove the demon from his boy, and they couldn't do it. I wonder if Peter, James, and John were like, whew, I'm glad we were on the mountain and we didn't have to deal with the situation. We're not going to get reprimanded by Jesus because we're with Jesus, right? We already got reprimanded by God himself, right? We don't need to do it again. And so Jesus is like, oh, man, right? You needed to take care of this, but you didn't. 
Now, Jesus then heals the boy, doesn't he? He heals the boy. And then they're confused. And they ask Jesus, why couldn't we do this, Jesus? He says, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Right? And so Jesus was saying, it's about faith. It's about faith. See, they thought they had power, right? Remember back in, in Matthew 10, 1, Jesus sent them out and he gave them power over, over um, demons and he gave them power to heal. And they thought they had that power. Why couldn't they do it? They were wondering all about this. They had authority. Why couldn't they do it now? But see, it was not about having faith that I could do it. It's about having faith that God can do it through me. There's a big difference between those two things, right? I give you the authority to go do something, and you go out and like, oh, I can do this. I, I, can, I can do this, right? And we get that, that thinking. No, it's God can and will do it through me if I have faith. Faith to understand that we can't do things on our own power we need the power of God working in and through us to accomplish what God calls us to do. This includes, and again, this is for you and me, this includes driving out demons, healing people, leading people to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, growing a church, helping people to walk down that right path, getting people back on the right path. All of these things require faith and the power of God working in and through you and me. It's not you that does it. It's not me that does it. It's God working in me that does it. Jesus never meant for this last phrase to be taken seriously. In faith, you can move a mountain. So please don't drive to Big, big Mountain, okay? And stand in front of the mountain and just start praying and, and, and expecting the mountain to actually move. Okay, don't do that, please. Don't say... Why are you doing that? And say, my pastor told me I could come and I could move this mountain if I had enough faith, right? There's no point in moving a mountain. That's not the point that Jesus is trying to make. What he's saying is, if you have enough faith, all difficulties can be solved. All situations can be dealt with. Even the hardest task can be accomplished through me, through my power, if you have faith. What situation are you facing right now that seems like a mountain that needs to be moved? God can move that mountain for you through your faith and his power. Faith in God is the instrument that leads us to do mighty works for God. And then we get to the last section in Matthew 17, and we come upon this issue of the temple tax. And you might look at this, and you know, there's some of these sections in the Bible that you're like, okay, this is talking about temple tax, and this is Old Testament stuff. This is, this is Jesus' time stuff. This has nothing to do with me. I'm sure you've read the Bible, and you've come across passages like that, right? Where you feel like, you know, this is like old time stuff. This is not for me. So I'm going to take you through this quickly, and I'm going to take you through and show you how this is even important to us, okay? 
So I want to give you a little background first so you understand. The temple uh, at Jerusalem was a costly place to run. They had daily morning and evening sacrifices, which involved sacrificing a year-old lamb. And along with the lamb, they, they had um, wine and oil and flour that was used in the, uh, this process. They had the incense that was burned regularly. And all of these elements, all of this stuff was costly. And so they were cost, constantly doing this. I mean, all day, every day, these things were happening. It cost a lot of money. So in Exodus 30, verse 13, it was laid down a law that every male Jew over 20 years must pay an annual temple tax of one half shekel, which was basically like two days' wage. Okay, so you imagine, whatever your salary is, calculate that and then divide it by, you know, all the days that you work and then figure out what's your day's wage and then multiply that by two. That would be the temple tax that you would have to pay, okay? And so when they collected all this money, the temple basically took in, if you use today's value of money, it would be about $100,000 a year they would take in through this temple tax. Okay, so that's important for us to understand because when we come to Matthew 7, 24, it says after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Boy, they're hitting them up fast, aren't they? It's like as you walk through the door, we have a basket there. Like, aren't you going to give money? Well, I haven't even gone to worship yet. I haven't even sat in the, and sang any songs yet, right? I mean, immediately he walked into the town and they're like, hasn't he paid the tax yet? And I think, you know, if you read the scriptures, you know that these, all these religious authorities, they're after Jesus, right? They're after the disciples. They were hoping that Jesus would refuse so that they could make trouble for Jesus. And so Peter's like, oh yeah, he pays the temple tax, and then immediately he turns and he goes to Jesus. <laughs> and they have this interesting conversation between the two of them. And Peter comes in, in Jesus. This is what's so amazing about Jesus. Jesus already knows that this has happened. Because look at what Jesus says. When Peter came to the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? Peter's like, what? talking about taxes already? How do you know? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, we don't want to offend the people at the temple, right? Go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. So you understand, when a king imposed a tax on his people, he didn't do it to his family. He did it to help support his family, right? So in essence, the king's family was exempt from the tax. And what Jesus is basically saying here is that where is the tax coming from? The house of God, right? And who's over the house of God? God, right? The Father. Jesus being his son, right? He's like, I'm basically exempt from this tax, but... I don't want to offend the people. I want to set a good example. And so we're going to pay that tax. You know, sometimes maybe you're like, maybe I don't need to do this, or maybe I don't have to do this, or, or maybe I'm exempt from this or whatever. But sometimes we need to do things to be an example to others. We need to set that example. In fact, that example speaks oftentimes stronger than our words when they see us acting in a way that is Christian, that is loving, that is giving, that is helpful. 
we see that, or we do that and they see that in us. Now, Jesus and the disciples, you know, they didn't have a job, right? So how are they going to pay this tax? They come into the city and they have to pay the tax, but how are they going to do it? Was it really going to be money in a fish's mouth? Possibly. Possibly. Or maybe Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, what was your profession before I called you? A fisherman, right? Go do some fishing, and that fish that you catch will basically pay for our tax. But either way, whether there's going to be money in the fish's mouth or they're just going to make money from the catching of fish, what this example shows is that Jesus is like, let's not worry about those kinds of things. God will take care of our needs. If you trust in God, God will take care of your needs. And I've seen that happen time and time and time and time and time and time again. I needed a chiropractor, and I went to the chiropractor, and the chiropractor was a Christian, and he found out I was a minister, and he said, you know what, I'll give you free care. I was like, what? Yeah, I want to give you free chiropractic care because you're a minister, and I want to honor the job that you do. What? Found a doctor. He didn't charge us our copay. And sometimes he's like, I want to do this uh, lab for you. Oh, no, that costs a lot of money. I'll pay for it. It only cost me $15. I'll pay for it for you. A doctor that pays for my labs for me. All the time in my life when I've been faithful and I've given generously of my money to the Lord and to the Lord's work, time and time and time and time again, God provides for my needs. And I guarantee you that it will be true for you. When you give to the Lord, when you give generously, when you give freely, God will take care of your needs. We show our faith when we trust God to meet our needs and live faithfully for him. So let me just close with this story. Man was getting older. He was concerned. He, he really wanted to feel God's presence. He really wanted to see God more profoundly. So he, one day he went out on his porch and he vowed to himself, I am not going to move from this chair until I see God. And so he's sitting there, he's sitting there all morning, and a little girl was playing with her ball across the street, and she kicked it wrong one time, and it went up onto his yard, and, and she ran up, and she went to get her, her ball, and she saw the man sitting on the porch. And she said, can I ask you a question? And he said, of course. And she said, I, I saw you, I've seen you here all morning, just sitting in your chair, and you're just kind of looking off, and what are you looking for? And the man said, I want to see God. See, I'm getting older, and I really want to know before I die that God is real. I want to see God. And the girl got this really big smile on her face, and she said, you know, my mom tells me that God gives you a sign of his presence every day when the sun comes up, every breath you breathe, when you love and are loved. And then she said, my mom always tells me this. You have to find God in your heart before you can see him with your eyes. Isn't that beautiful? You have to find God in your heart before you can see him with your eyes. It's about faith, isn't it? These disciples saw the transfiguration of Jesus. They saw Jesus heal this demon-possessed 
boy, they saw Jesus pay for their tax and, and take care of their needs. They saw these things in Jesus. I mean, all along, they've been following Jesus and seeing Jesus. And that is true for us. If you are a follower of Christ, walking with Christ, pray, Lord, open my eyes that I may see you in my heart so that I can see you with my eyes. And then you will be transformed to be like Christ. Let us pray.